welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And today we're talking about fentanyl. Will you recognize it before it kills you or your kids? Now, that's actually a tricky question because, in fact, it is very hard to recognize uh, fentanyl because um, you can't you can't smell it. It has all different looks like uh, all different colors. Um, it can appear uh, different shapes and sizes. It's commonly a powder, but um and plus, well, I mean, what we're talking about today, of course, is the synthetic illegal fentanyl, not the kind you might get from your doctor. So let me start with um, that, what you might get from your doctor. Um, fentanyl is a powerful synthetic opioid. It's similar to morphine, but it's 50 to 100 times more potent. Um, you can get it as a prescription if you have severe pain, usually this is given after surgery, or it can be given for people with chronic pain if they have become tolerant to other opioids, meaning that um, they, let's say someone has chronic pain and they've been given some kind of opiate, opioid before and, um, and they get their body gets used to it. So they need to take more and more uh, of it to get the uh, analgesic effect. So that, in, in other words, it's sort of the last resort. Fentanyl is a narcotic, a, a pain relieving drug of the last resort because it is the most dangerous because it can not only create dependence upon it, but also um, addiction. So um, you can buy, do when you get it from a doctor, you can get it as a shot or a patch or lozenges like throat lozenges. But um, illegally, it is, um, it's made in labs, it's synthetic, and it can be sold as a powder or dropped onto a blotter paper, blotter paper, or put in eye drops and nasal sprays or made into pills that look like other prescription opioids. So in other words, drug dealers are realizing that Fentanyl is a much cheaper drug than heroin or cocaine or methamphetamine or MDMA. So they um, have been increasingly using some fentanyl with these other drugs and just and not not mentioning it. And that way they make more money. Um, the reason why people like it, uh, well, how you can get addicted to it is because it can cause extreme happiness um confusion you might not want that a sedation um but the the bad effects are especially when you're when you've taken too much is um you can you can start having problems breathing and you can become unconscious it stops oxygen from going into the blood in your brain so that is why it is very dangerous and um and why you have to be particularly um, careful, even though you can't uh, smell it or see it or, you know, necessarily recognize it by its properties. But um, 
but you have to be alert to the kinds of situations when you might be likely to get it. Now, you've probably heard of stories of people accidentally touching something that had fentanyl on it. You know, obviously, uh, there there's not much that they could have done um, when it's in a situation where you're not expecting that kind of thing. But then you need to call 911 and um, the uh First responders come with a drug like Narcan that can try to interrupt the um, overdose, the lethal overdose of it. That that'll that's my little uh, sprinkling of information at the beginning. But um, we are going to be talking to my guest for most of the show. He's going to be telling us about what it's like on the streets. By that I mean uh, he's not a he's not a drug pusher or a drug addict on the streets, but he is someone who um, has it, it spends a lot of his time uh, talking with middle school and high school students because he's, he's the founder and, and executive director of something called Incubate Debate. And he has served so far thousands of middle and high school students, teaching them that open debate and free speech are essential. So he has had lots of conversations, lots of debates uh, on all different topics, and has certainly um, been talking with them about drugs, including fentanyl. And so he will be able to give us the um, what it's like from a young, um, from a student, you know, a middle school or a high school age student uh, who is actually dealing with this kind of issue on a day to day basis. So James, oh, and before I go to James and have him talk, let me just tell you a little bit more about him. I said that he founded Incubate Debate. He founded it in 2019. He did this after he uh, competed in high school debate for four years in Broward County in Florida. Um, he also then went to become a volunteer debate coach in Miami-Dade County for two years. And... Um, he he found them to be eye-opening experiences and he wanted to help other students um learn how to debate which of course in today's world is a particularly important uh talent or not really a talent but an important skill that um i guess it's a talent in some ways but i mean it's a skill that students really need because we are being fed they are being fed we're all being fed um uh topics in a way where you know you're kind of given the impression this is the way it is and don't question it so debates have become more important than ever without further ado <laughs> let me welcome to the show james fishback hi james Hi, Dr. Carroll. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for the kind introduction. You're welcome. I'm really interested to hear. Uh, well, for you know, we can sort of start with your um, the general issue of why you started um, the debate, um, uh, or you know, your organization, incubate debate. I like yeah. that. I like that top title. Um, what it's been like in general, and then we can get into what you have learned from students about, you know, their attitudes and their experiences with fentanyl. So Perfect. And, 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 and that's the natural origin story here is it started out with incubate and then through incubate, we got into the fentanyl issue specifically through our NEO initiative, not even once. But as you pointed out, I, 
I was a high school debater for four years. It was a transformative experience. I had a really bad stutter as a as a kid. And having to do these debates every week, every month, talking about immigration, education, uh, the death penalty, all of these different issues, going up there, speaking in front of strangers, that helped me overcome a really, really bad stutter growing up as a kid. And it gave me confidence. That was very brave to go out there and start doing that because probably the, the beginning, you know, I mean, you were risking kids making fun of you. Oh, and they did. They did. I'll, I'll never forget. And it wasn't just a stutter. It was how quickly I spoke. And I got to see if I can find one of those videos of how quickly I spoke. But we were having a debate and this was a congressional style debate. So it was about 12 kids in the room. Half of us were for or for the bill that was being debated and half of us were against it. And I'll never forget the person going up there after I spoke. And I, I said, I, I was I was against the bill and he was in favor of it. I think it was something to do with Afghanistan. And he said, we have to pass this bill faster than James Fishback can say, pass this bill. And he kind of mumbled over it and, and quickly went over it. <laughs> so I, I got well, a lot everybody of- everybody laughed, right? And everybody <laughs> laughed and, and we both, both did pretty well that day. But I, I can't think of a better activity in general than for young people to come together of all different backgrounds, all different political persuasions, and have an honest, good faith dialogue about some of the issues that are affecting our country. I mean, it seems like up until recently, you know, on social media, on Twitter, at least before uh, Mr. Musk acquired it, you know, you would get pushed out for certain views, for even asking certain questions. And that's just not the American way. So it's really a great activity. One of the issues that I encounter with debate, both as a competitor in high school and then as a coach for two years in Miami-Dade County was the socioeconomic element, which was even for a local debate tournament, you wouldn't just have to spend 25 or 30 bucks to participate, but mom or dad would have to come out as well and spend all day judging. And those two together were just massive hurdles for a lot of the working class kids, myself included, who had so much to say, who really wanted to add perspective and, and debate these issues, but because of that hurdle, weren't able to. And, and that's why I started Incubate. I think that the socioeconomic thing was key, along with what I later encountered was a huge political echo chamber that debate had become between my time as a competitor and then my time as a coach. Interesting. Well, we'll get back to that. But I want to ask you about parents. So you paid to participate, and then yeah. your parent had to the, the parents were the judges. Is that how it worked? How how was that? Um, how how did that keep? How did it stay fair? Like if you yeah. you wanted your kid to win, right? Well, the parents would judge the other kids, right? So if if my if my team would come with twenty kids and five parents, and another team came with twenty kids and five parents, our parents would judge their kids. Their parents would judge our kids in a very simple in a very simple way but you know at this time and this was and I was doing debate right after the the great recession of 08 you know we had parents you know if they had to get called in for an extra shift they were really excited and really grateful for that growing up in south florida too with so many uh, different families from south american latin american backgrounds you had parents who 
were passionate about this, but just didn't have a good enough command of the English language and and were turned away too. So it was one of those things, you know, if you're the football quarterback, your parents don't need to be all that involved. They don't need to be refereeing the games or coaching on the sidelines. Same thing with the chess tournament, but high school debate, parents aren't just expected to be there. They're required to be there. And for a lot of kids, that's a huge, huge hurdle and they aren't able to participate. Yes. Yes. Okay. So you wanted to change all of that. Uh, yeah. Did your, I guess your parents did participate. They, you know, they did the extent that they could. Um, my dad, uh, growing up, he was a bus driver for, for Broward County Transit in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, and my, my mom worked a number of jobs uh, locally. They kind of on and off on the weekends, we, we tried to make it work. You know, I, for the first two years of high school, I went to a, a pretty competitive debate team high school. So we had, you know, they could fill in the blanks sometimes uh, for judges, but there are many tournaments that I just wasn't able to compete at because of the parental requirement. And then when I went on to a magnet high school, a predominantly black high school um, in, in urban Fort Lauderdale for my junior and senior year, there was no debate team. We had a volunteer debate coach who was a lawyer and we didn't have the the parental buy-in. Parents loved the activity. They loved that their kids were being a part of it. But when it came, push came to shove, they had to work a blue collar job on Saturday and couldn't participate. So we lost interest because of that. But I think fundamentally we lost interest because students who who were active, who really wanted to get involved in debate, ended up encountering a, a debate format that wasn't all that accessible. And what do I mean by that? You know, when we think about the great debates that have happened in history, they haven't, they've been very free form debates. The conversation that you and I are having right now, although we're not debating, it's a very free form conversation. The debates you have over the dinner table, over Thanksgiving, over, uh, you know, President Trump announcing his reelection campaign, that stirs up some controversy. But the debate that we encountered in high school is highly, highly structured. And I think, you know, when I was in high school, I was trying to get kids to come onto the debate team, but they, they, when they went to a meeting or two, they, they lost interest because they had this idea of debate, which was this sort of no holds bar free form. Let's disagree agreeably and do so with civility with what sort of became this highly jargonistic, highly structured format. And that's another reason why I went about to start Incubate Debate, which isn't just a no-cost debate league, uh, doesn't just require parents to be there, but also is about creating debate that we say is easy to learn, but hard to master. You got kids who are passionate about these issues. Let's bring them in. Let's not throw all this legalese at them and let's just have them let them have fun. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yes. Well, um yeah, I, I can imagine that that you know you realize, oh, you mean I have to go according to a certain structure and I have to learn this and I you know, yes. Yeah. That we're, we're um uh you we only have a few minutes to till the end of this segment. Um but let me just ask you, you started to say the other thing that you found was um, about the po- politics. Correct. That things had changed. Um, now, I, we only have two minutes left, so I, I know you can't get into it a whole lot, but why don't you start us off with that? Well, Dr. Carroll, if, if I resort back to my speaking quickly from, from ninth <laughs> grade, you may not catch every word, but I could get it. I'll, I'll, I'll say this. Debate is about debate. 
And when judges before the debates, and I'll, I'll get into the particulars after the break, but when judges tell high school students before the debates that they are not ever going to vote for certain arguments, which include capitalism is good or defending Israel or you defending our great law enforcement, that's a problem. So the the, the overarching 50,000-foot view here, Dr. Carroll, is that judges were too often not able to separate their own political beliefs with how they determined who won the rounds. Yeah. And what I, what, what I ended up coming across was students who were penalized for saying the wrong things. I'll never forget one of my students being told by a judge you would have won the round had you not condemned Black Lives Matter. And this was a black student. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he would have won the round, Dr. Carroll, had he said nice things about BLM. So and by the way, that's this is not a, a college Democrats or a college Republicans forum. This is debate, open debate, free speech. It is a competition of ideas where only the best ideas on their merit win, not ideas that align with the political party. Oh, wow. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to want to know more about that. Well, we do have to take a break. Um, we are talking today. We will actually get to it, but this is so interesting. We are, we will be talking today about fentanyl. Will you recognize it before it kills you or your kids? And, um, my guest is, um, <laughs> Is James, God, James, where did I lose my, I lost my paper here. <laughs> um, Fishback, of course, I've only written it 5 million times when I was writing the description of the show. James Fishback, we will be back after this break. Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com these days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Birdie told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN. 
Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about fentanyl. Will you recognize it before it kills you or your kids? And my guest is James Fishback. And we've been talking so far about um, the organization that he, uh, well, first of all, his experiences as being in debate in uh, junior high and high school, and then becoming a debate coach, and um, his having founded an organization called Incubate Debate to help um, students uh, participate in debate and find it fun and find it and make it easier for them to participate as well. So um, before the break, we were starting to talk about how some coaches are not just coaching on how to make, be a good debater, but on what your position should be, um, yeah. which is like the antithesis of debate <laughs> and free speech. It is. De- debate is all about the merits, the evidence, the logic, the reasoning that you're using. And instead, what we're seeing more and more of is political favoritism. People who judge these high school debates telling people that I can never vote for certain types of arguments. So students, as a result, don't bother making them. They, they recognize, you know, a kid who wants to win the debate to get the to get the trophy, to get the accolades, to get the college acceptance letters, the scholarships. They recognize that, hey, if my judge is telling me they're never going to vote for an argument on why capitalism is good, I guess I can never say that capitalism is good. And that's ended up stifling the intellectual diversity, free speech, and open debate that made debate great. Ah, absolutely. So, um, well, we'll get at the end, we'll talk more about like what your organization is currently doing, you know, logistically, like what, you know, the different schools and the different topics and so on. But why don't we get to fentanyl? What? When did you um through you started to say at the beginning about that it was through the debate correct um, that you first became interested or or you know uh in this topic and um so why don't you tell us what it is I I'd be I'm very interested in hearing what these kinds of um students are saying about it Absolutely I, I it was through incubate debate that I started to pay a lot more attention to the fentanyl issue in my home state of Florida. And the reason why was because last year we held a debate for students. We asked them a question. The debate topic was, which is the better way to address the opioid epidemic, harm reduction or abstinence? And it was a fascinating debate, a really relevant debate, given the deaths that we're seeing, over 106,000 deaths, the most recent CDC data from uh, overdose deaths overall. And through that debate, I recognize how wide of a knowledge gap there was with our students. I mean, the, in other debates, they had known about China, they had known about the economy, they had known about 
immigration. But this was really the first topic we'd ever seen in Incubate where students just didn't know nearly anything when they started out and how much that knowledge gap closed. We ended up commissioning a statewide survey here in Florida asking students about fentanyl to get a better idea. And, and the results were staggering. We found out that seven out of 10 high school students, that their high school has not spoken to them about fentanyl. Seven out of 10. A poison, by the way, that as you know, your viewers can appreciate, is killing nearly 200 Americans every single day. And so we looked at that and said, wow, if seven out of 10 kids aren't even being talked to about fentanyl, what can what can we do as an organization? As I mentioned you know, earlier before the break, we're a debate league. But because of that, we have two, I think, benefits. The first is we have existing relationships with schools all over the state, school board members, school districts. And the second is that we have a strong track record in developing messages that resonate with students. So we got to work, we did our research, we put together a 20-minute assembly, high-impact, interactive, short, sweet, to the point. We call it NEO, not even once. Unlike the D.A.R.E. program that I'll remember from elementary and middle school, this is not throw it all on the wall and see, see what sticks. This is just fentanyl. It's just the facts, ma'am. And it's trying to break through to kids, many of whom, by the way, are incredibly skeptical about information on drug use. And you can understand why, right? When I was in middle school, we were told, don't drink, don't smoke weed. It's going to ruin your life. And now kids walk into a college campus and they see their professors smoking weed on the lawn, right? So they were told one thing, it turned out to be true. There's been a lot of hyperbole when it comes to teens and drugs over the last couple of decades. There is no hyperbole with fentanyl. There is no overstating the risks. The amount of fentanyl in a little sugar packet could kill every single person in a modern American high school. So we have to stick to the facts, don't exaggerate, and really inform kids about this poison that's out there. Um, I just want to make one comment about that, you know, uh, and I don't know what you're, and I'm not sure what you were saying in terms of your opinion, but it's not really um, overstating uh, weed or marijuana. Um, it really is dangerous and it really shouldn't be legal. I mean, I, when I was um, becoming a psychiatrist uh, at NYU Bellevue, I saw some of the first cases of people, you know, it was when people were beginning to realize, wait a second, maybe there's something wrong here. It was where kids who didn't have any problems um, and they went to a party and they smoked a joint and then they wound up at Bellevue the next day because really it can indeed um, cause psychosis, especially in people who have a genetic predisposition to something like schizophrenia or manic depressive illness, bipolar. Um, and so it is very dangerous and and it should never have been have been made legal. Just want to throw oh, that. I, I, I don't disagree with you at all. I, I was just pointing out the hypocrisy that, you know, when when a lot of your viewers uh when we were, you know, in school, we were told weed this, weed that was a danger. And then we turn around 15, 20 years later and weed is being pushed on kids like crazy. I'm I'm actually against it. And but but I think that that's the, the difference here is that there's no real hypocrisy with fentanyl, right? You look at it, these pills are being pressed 
into counterfeit drugs that look identical to the kind of drugs, Xanax, Percocet, Vicodin, Adderall, per, uh, that, that are sold to kids unsuspectingly over social media. And, and the reason why is because of greed, right? If you're a drug dealer, if you're a drug cartel, and you can create a synthetic counterfeit Oxycontin that has fentanyl and along with some kind of cutting agent, a antihistamine, for example, right? You can sell that. You can 50X your profits. And if some kids die along the way, you are not going to lose sleep as you're making hundreds of millions of dollars. And these kids, they're hearing about these drugs through music. They're hearing about these drugs through popular culture, through TV, through movie. And what ends up happening is they take this drug, they experiment, they make one mistake, and that mistake ends up being fatal. Yes. So, okay. So what were they, so go on with, um, you know, you were starting to talk about, so you, you incorporated that in debate and what, so what, what were they saying about this? Well, we, we found out, you know, that a lot of the issue was kids just didn't know about how prevalent fentanyl was, you know, for, for, I've talked to at this point, dozens of families who have lost a child to fentanyl and every single parent prior to their child's death had never heard of this. Mm -hmm. Their child had never signed up to take fentanyl. They went on Snapchat. They wanted to buy a Percocet because Drake in his 2018 song, Sicko Mode, bragged about it. They wanted to buy a Xanax because The Weeknd in his 2019 song bragged about it. And so they they never signed up to take fentanyl. The parents had no idea what it was, and they ended up succumbing to it. And part of that is having a conversation with kids. Our whole philosophy is not to tell kids that fentanyl, that this poison is dangerous, but to show them. And I'll tell you how we do it. We start off this 20-minute assembly. The first thing to know is that when we work with the administration of a school, we ask that they do not tell the kids why they are coming together for an assembly. And the reason why is because a lot of academic research, one of our own focus groups, found that when kids are going to go in there, they know they're coming in for a drug assembly. This apathy kicks in, this indifference. I know about drugs. I don't need to hear about it. And they tune out even before we've had a chance to get out a single sentence. So they come in and I introduce myself and I've got five translucent glasses on the table in front of me. And you've got hundreds of kids in the audience, five translucent blue glasses. I've got a bottle of water in one hand, a small bottle of bleach in the other. And I ask the students, what is this? And they say it's water. What is it for to drink after a workout? Uh, to drink when you're dehydrated or when it's hot outside. And I ask, what is this? And they say, it's bleach. And what's this for? And they say, to, to clean your clothes and, and, and to wash your towels. Is water good? And they say, yes. Is bleach good? And they say, no, it's bad. Well, what would happen if you drank water? So on. And then, so it's pretty clear they can distinguish between water good, bleach bad. But I ask them, how do you know this is water? And it's kind of like a philosophical question, Dr. Carroll. I say, how do you know this is water? And they say, because it's labeled as such. I say, how do you know this is bleach? It's labeled as such. Oh. And then the mind-blowing thing happens. We 
take open the water, we open up the bleach, and we pour about three ounces of bleach in one, three ounces of water in the next, three ounces of bleach in one, three ounces of water in the next. And then we move the cups around. Uh-huh. And then we ask a student, we ask a volunteer to come up. <laughs> to come up which, and drink one of them. Right, exactly. Which <laughs> yeah. one, we, we ask them, which ones are bleach, which ones are water? And to this day, having done this assembly dozens of times in front of thousands of students, not one student has been able to correctly distinguish the bleach from the water, even though, Dr. Carroll, they distinguish which one was bad and which one was good when they had the labels on them. That allows for a perfect segue, I think, and we've found into this conversation about fentanyl, is that you don't know it's fentanyl because it's not labeled as such. It's labeled as the drugs that the musicians and the rappers and the pop stars and the actors are pushing on these young kids through their music and through their social media. That's very good. That's very, I'm sure that's very powerful. Um, an aha moment. <laughs> um, and then what? Then what do you do? What's your second act? <laughs> well, I, I think that gets them hooked. That actually does do a pretty good job of getting them hooked. And then we 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 then go to a massive image of 10 Oxycontin, 10 M30s. And we tell the kids, some of these are real. Some of these are fake. And th- by this point, they're they're really paying attention. Which ones are which? And then we have three kids and they're jumping out of their seats. They want to come up and volunteer. We got three kids coming up. We give them 10 seconds each. Tell us which of these pills are real and re- which ones are fake. And you got 10 pills there. They, they're all identical. And for the life of them, they can't distinguish real from fake. And we have that conversation and we say, look, guys, it's not just you. Career DEA agents who have been doing this for 30 years serving their country, protecting our communities, they can't tell the difference either. And you know who couldn't tell the difference between a fake and a real, between a a, a real FDA drug and a fake fentanyl lethal drug? Mac Miller, when his dealer gave him what he thought was a FDA prescription Percocet, it turned out to be straight fentanyl. Mac Miller is no longer with us. You know who couldn't tell the difference either? Prince. When he got what he thought was a Vicodin, it wasn't Vicodin, it was straight fentanyl. And we could go on, Tom Petty, Coolio, so many wealthy, successful, conventionally successful people. And I tell the kids, look, Prince had a net worth in the hundreds of millions. Mac Miller had a net worth in the tens of millions. If these guys, despite all their wealth, all their connection, if they're dying at the hands of this poison, what chance do you stand? What chance is it that your dealer is somehow more trustworthy than the dealer that killed Mac Miller or Prince? Yeah, yeah, very good. Okay, so then what? And then we talk a bit about the motivations, about why this is happening. Again, let's go back to earlier. We don't tell them it's dangerous. We show them. All of what we've discussed so far, Dr. Carroll, is really showing them. We're not we're not convincing them of really of anything. We're giving them the water and the bleach. We're showing them how indistinguishable that is. We're showing them through the M30s, the real versus the fake, how indistinguishable it is. We give them straight facts, 50 times more potent than heroin, kills 200 every day. In the case of my state, Florida, kills 15 every day. 
And we wrap up with talking about four stories, four young victims who died from this poison. We spend about 30, 40 seconds on each talking about they ordered a Percocet. They thought it was a Percocet. They didn't wake up the next morning. They ordered an Oxycontin, thought it was an Oxycontin. They didn't wake up the next morning. And I'll tell you, the the way I think to find out if our assemblies have been successful is is a couple things. First is when you know when you're a musician, um, the more rowdy the audience, the better. If you're a, a rock star, right? The the more energy the audience is putting out there, the better it is that they're voting that you're doing a good job. When we do these assemblies, Doctor Carroll, yeah, the quiet audience, you could drop a pin, and we're talking about 500, 600 rambunctious sophomores, juniors, and they come in, they're loud and they leave, they're quiet. The second is I have every assembly that I have done, some student has come after at the end and said, I lost somebody to fentanyl. Mm. Every single one. We've done these all over the state, all different high schools, rural, urban, black, white, all over. And every single assembly a student has come up to me afterward and said, I lost someone to fentanyl. Mm -hmm. And that just underscores how prevalent, how massive this issue is. 200 Americans every single day. Wow. Um, of course, that that will also be, I, I imagine that maybe sometimes you incorporate that, um, you know, the, the individual stories, like having someone who tells you, I lost yes. someone, having them tell it to the group. Yes, we do. We actually had our, one of our first assemblies. We had a young man who who wanted the microphone because this was right after spring break. This was in South Florida, in Hollywood, Florida. And he had just lost his friend six days prior over spring break. A young kid just like himself from another high school. He bought what he thought was a Xanax. It was straight fentanyl and he's no longer with us. So what that does is it underscores the reality. It puts a face to it. It's not just some outsider coming in talking about this. This is a real crisis. Yeah, absolutely. All right. That's a perfect way to end this segment. Um, when we come back, we will talk more about this. I'm really uh, uh, interested to know what more you've been doing about it and what 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 results you've been seeing and and also, the really the question is uh, that I imagine that they ask you at the end, okay, well, uh, Mr. James, <laughs> um, okay, great. So you, I understand that. So what am I supposed to do if I can't figure out what it is? We'll get back to that. You're listening uh, to Dr. Carol's Couch. My guest is James Fishback. We're talking about um, fentanyl and uh, the crisis. And will you be able to recognize it before it kills you or your kids? So stay tuned. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the Terrorism Hotline 
And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today. So contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com. Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about fentanyl, the fentanyl crisis. Uh, Will you recognize it before it kills you or your kids? My guest is James Fishback. And um, the question I left off with uh, in the last segment was, what do the kids, I mean, it's very, I could see how all of that would, you wouldn't hear a pin drop after the way that you presented all this. Um, but then the obvious question is, okay, then um, then if they fake, you know, if they make it look like all these other pills and so on, um, how am I supposed to avoid it? How am I supposed to know which is fentanyl and which isn't? Well, and that's a great thing. The kids always want to know, right? How do I tell the difference? And the reality is you can't tell the difference. You can't. If the DE agents who've been doing this for 30 years can't tell the difference, neither can you. And I think at this point in the 20-minute assembly, when we've gone through the bleach versus the water, when we've gone through the Oxycontin real versus fake exercise, gone through the Mac Miller, the Prince, the Tom Petty, and the actual student victims, they're pretty much convinced that this is something not to mess with. And our whole moral of the story is if fentanyl, you have to assume that it's in the drugs that you're taking. So don't mess with them, not even once. That's our Neo. And students seem to be very receptive to that. And I'll tell you, the biggest thing here is closing the knowledge gap. This is fundamentally an abstinence campaign. And the reason why, by the way, I'll tell you, if we were losing 200 people a day to fentanyl, but more Americans knew about it. If that 70% of kids was 30% of kids who hadn't been told about it, then we would be looking at a different crisis. But when we walk into these schools and no one knows about this stuff and they walk out armed with that knowledge, that's a public health victory if we can close that knowledge gap. And kids are going to respond to what they view as perceived risks. You know, when I was five years old, my dad told me not to shove the, the fork up the outlet And the reason why was because it was going to kill me. And so I think delivering that message to young people, letting them know that these pills are tainted and giving them the the facts on why this is happening, they understand the full cycle of it and understand to stay away. So basically the message has to be 
I mean, you know, I think they figure it out, figure it out um, or you help them figure it out um, that we shouldn't take any drugs. That's the message. Because we can't tell which has um, which has the M&M peanut. Remember that kind of, yeah. commercial? <laughs> I remember that, yeah. <laughs> so since they can't tell which has the M&M peanut or which has the fentanyl, um, the answer is then the, I, you can't take any drugs, which is not something that they really want to hear, some of them. It's not something they want to hear. It's not. But so and I, we had a little bit of a disagreement earlier, Dr. Carroll, and I, I think it's it's perfectly fine. And I think we we agree that marijuana is not good. But one thing that I tell them is that I'm not here to talk about marijuana. I'm not here to talk about vape pens. I don't say that I'm here to say that these things are good, but I do that to establish trust with these kids because I tell them and factually, there's only one drug in this country that can kill you the first time. That's fentanyl. Mm -hmm. Fentanyl represents 80% of all fatal teen drug overdoses. For every kid that dies from heroin, 35 kids die from fentanyl, 35 times higher death rate. So this is, I think, a triage strategy, something that you could appreciate from your time at Bellevue, right? This is a triage strategy that will get to the marijuana and the vape issue. We're not going to concede that point right here, right now, but we need to tackle the fentanyl issue because it's truly only the drug that's killing these young people. And to your point about abstinence and telling them not to try drugs, that didn't work 10 years ago because we said, don't try drugs because you're not going to get college scholarships. You're not going to be on the football team or whatever, or you're not going to graduate. Clearly that didn't hold when you got half the kids on the Harvard campus smoking weed on the lawn, right? So, but this is a real message, which is don't try drugs because you're playing Russian roulette. We have examples of people who have bought the real drug from the same dealer on Friday a fake drug from the same dealer on Saturday. And then on Sunday, open casket, they were staring at the ceiling as their family, as their loved ones were mourning their death in church. Mm -hmm. So it's really about building trust with us and undermining their trust with their drug dealers. You know, you've got kids who got sold a drug that they thought was Xanax from somebody who was their dealer who sold them weed for months or for years, someone they had built a trust with. In many cases, by the way, even some of these low-level Snapchat dealers don't even know that they're selling the fentanyl because the, the chain of custody is so ruptured. So that's the overall message. Don't mess with this stuff, not even once. That's how you stay alive. What about kids who say, um, you know, my sister... Um, uh, takes Adderall. The doctor gives her Adderall. Yeah. Why, you know, why shouldn't I take it? Or why, how, why, why would it be bad? I mean, I know the answer is that you don't get, if you get it from your doctor, that's, well, <laughs> quite frankly, I'm not all for Adderall either. Seen yeah. Too much, seen too much, uh, too many problems with that. But, yeah. I mean, you know, and some doctors give it out like candy, especially um, like pediatricians or family doctors, not so much as Psychiatrists, some psychiatrists too, but especially family doctors. Anyhow, so so they say, well, you know, why can't, if she she takes it, you know, she's she's given it. Why can't I take it? But of course, it's the answer: you're getting it from your doctor, and it's prescription, or you're getting it from your local drug dealer. 
That that's right, and that that's the, that's the moral of the story is if you're not getting it from a pharmacist, not getting it from a doctor, you cannot trust it. And kids don't know. I mean, they 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 don't know why Prince died, and it's shocking to them. I mean, I if you told me to make an assembly like this about beer or about vape pens, I wouldn't be able to do it, right? I mean, the prohibition era, we saw there was a lot of tainting of alcohol, right? Alcohol was being adulterated and people died. I could have made that argument back then, but there's only one drug you can make this argument about. And I think the kids are just shocked by the facts and the it's it's just indisputable. And as a result, we get them to perceive fentanyl to be so much more dangerous because it is. The numbers don't lie. The victims don't lie. Tom Petty died. Coolio, Prince, Mac Miller, countless others died from fentanyl. What chance do you stand? You're so quiet, you could drop a pin uh, in the room. The message is getting out there. That's what the students are telling us. The principals are telling us that. They've, you know, you've had principals who have been in high schools for 30 years who do these drug assemblies every so often. And principals have said time and again, this is the only drug assembly where I've seen my students pay attention and really, really take it in. Now, here's a question. Um, have you, I mean, I'm sure you had to have thought of this, uh, but you were saying, uh, I guess, during the break about about um, making it available, the, making a toolkit available to um, to other schools, and we'll give out information if you would like as far as how people yeah. can do. But what about um, making a video Uh you know, a video of one of these presentations so that kids could see the whole thing, you know, not just uh, they could see how the kids or other kids are reacting and so on. Have you have you thought of that? Or are you planning on doing something like that? that? That's in the pipeline. We really, really want to do something that's going to scale for this. You know, I'm just one person. We have a team of six people at the Incubate Foundation, which is where Incubate Debate and, and Neo reside. But what we want to do is two things. Is we want to develop a toolkit that can be put in the hands of any educator, any parent, any principal who can then take our material, our slides, our images, our talking points, essentially the entire 20-minute assembly mapped out in 30-second increments and deliver that message to their students. And then we also want to do exactly what you just said, Dr. Carroll, which is develop a short video that can be pushed out there so kids can learn about this because we don't have a lot of people on our side. I mean, we've got certainly public health, we've got medicine, we've got a number of politicians on our side, but on the other side, you've got the entertainment industry. And I don't think they're doing this out of malice. I don't think they too understand the fentanyl risk. One thing I'd like to do is I'd like to sit down with the executives of these big record labels and tell them, talk with them, show them, have them meet with the victims of these families mm. who died from drugs that are being glorified in the music yes, yes. Uh, of their of their talent, Drake, The Weeknd, and so on, and say, look, guys, I don't think you would tolerate your talent talking about drinking Clorox, mm -hmm. right? This is just as deadly. This is just as bad for kids. You're not tolerating them to do other things where they're promoting these negative negatives. So I think there's a it's a multifaceted conversation. We've got to get the communication out there. And right now we're walking into the wind because 
we've got the entertainment industry against us. When Amy Schumer goes up there at the Oscars in her opening monologue and says, it's great to be back at the Oscars, but I love being at home because at home I have my pills. She wasn't talking about ibuprofen. She wasn't (laughs) talking about Benadryl. She was probably talking about Xanax and Percocet, the same pills. You have the red wine. You had a rough week. You take a Xanax, you have some rosé, and you go to bed. Well, let me, um, yes, so all of these things are, are influential. Um, I want to make sure we have time for you to tell people where, you know, if they are interested in either having you come to a school to speak, to do your uh, assembly, or to get some of the, the toolkit, where should they go to reach you? They should go to not even once, just how it sounds, not even once.org. You can get in contact with us on there. And our email is contact at notevenonce.org as well. And just get into contact with us. We're going to keep you updated on our nationwide fentanyl toolkit. A lot of people are doing this. There's a lot of great work happening in this space. I happen to think that we have the winning formula, which is to have a show don't tell approach to students about the fentanyl danger, building on that bleach versus water opening hook that really gets the kids interesting, interested, that image of the fake versus the real Oxycontins and having sort of a trivia show. Again, all of these still, what does all of this do is it instills this idea in these young kids that maybe, wait, I, I actually don't know what I'm taking. Mm-hmm. We need to build trust between us and them and erode trust between them and those who are giving them these drugs. That's the problem. Hmm. Well, I admire what you're doing. I think it's great. I think um, it's a big, it's a huge problem. So it's going to take uh, a lot of, a lot of assemblies, (laughs) a lot of toolkits. That's why I think, you know, video with uh, a video would help, you know, also putting it online even, Um, you know, I I completely agree. And I'll say with the video thing, there's I think we could do a really good video. I'd have to get a haircut for it, but we could do a really good video. The only the only problem with the video, it's a it's a self-selecting group. Think about the kind of kid who's going to go online, even if we get it on social media. We need this in the hands of everybody. And that's right. And that's why this toolkit isn't just for your principals and your educators. It's for parents. And I'll tell you, it's a it's part of our our faith community too, who who can really use their power and their trust. Think about it. You know, when I was a kid, uh, I went to Catholic church every Sunday. And I was told I had this, whether I liked it or not, and there are millions of kids uh, who go to church every Sunday, who go to temple on Saturday, who go to mosque, whether they like it or not, and they have trust with that community. So this toolkit is about getting that imam, getting that rabbi, getting that priest, pastor to just have a five, six minute conversation. We're going to have a five minute version of the toolkit and then the full blown 20 minute assembly. But we just need people to have these conversations. There's a reason why kids aren't uh, aren't taking the Tide Pods anymore. We blasted that message out there. We need to do the same for fentanyl. Absolutely. And let me just give out the website again, notevenonce.org. James Fishback, thank you so much. This is so important. I wish you well um, on, on your mission. And I think it's just fabulous. 
So thank you. Well, Dr. Carroll, thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you to your listeners uh, and God bless you. Hope to stay in, stay in touch soon. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carroll's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carroll's Couch. We'll save you a seat.